P.E. King Queen Wilshire. Hello and welcome to episode 10, the final episode of season 1 of the Lower Era podcast. I'm David Smith and I'm joined today by Oren Fitzpatrick, Pudge Gaffney and Marty Gillespie. Welcome lads. Uh, today we're going to be discussing Delia Owen's bestseller, Where the Crawdads Sing, as chosen for you all on our social media channels and polls. So thanks to everyone who contributed and cho- helped us choose this book. Uh, can't wait to get stuck into it. But uh, first, we'll check in with the lads as usual. Lads, how are we? Marty, what's the crack? How's your weekend going? Oh, good. That's all good. Um, up in Donegal for, for the week. Uh, it's my first proper week off of the summer, so been very much relaxing. Uh, spent the whole day out at the beach yesterday in Rosnada, and oh my God, it was just class. Like, the water, like the water, I'd say it was about 15 or 16 degrees. It was just, oh, it was bliss. Absolute bliss. Uh, and then today, I was planning on going up and around the county, but the Donegal Tyrone match is at quarter to two, and like you cannot miss that. Like you miss cannot that. miss that. No, uh, and I'm a bit nervous about it too, to be honest. And especially now this year when it's just straight knockout. Like when you're out of when you're out of your provincial championship, you're out of the All Ireland championship. So a little bit anxious about that. But if that goes well. I might be able to go and do something for with the rest of my day, but if it doesn't go well, I'll just be huffing for about twelve hours. Say, well, the good thing is I'm not I'm not working tomorrow, nor the day after that, nor the day after that, nor the month after that. So should be all right. Teachers never rub it in anyway. That's the great thing about it. No. Um, oh, did you were away camping for the weekend, were you? I was just out for a night there on Friday. Yeah, a bit of a last minute plan. So um, just from the lads. Sent a text out to a few people and, and yeah, it's a good crack. Uh, a few people from the J1 hadn't seen since. So um, it was just good. Yeah, nice catch up. Um, weather was unreal out in British Bay and kind of up the next morning for a swim. And it was already, I was at nine o'clock and it was already busy. Like the beach was already busy. And even leaving the place, there were 100, well over 100 cars trying to get into the place. And yeah, so we just got there ahead of the curve. It was nice. Uh, yeah, and then yesterday just had a barbecue over in Sis's brother's house, so that was good fun. Um, similar to Marty, uh, going to watch. Uh, well, the Donegal Tyrone game is, is obviously the, the precursor to the main event of Mead Dublin. Uh, that's at half four, so going to actually go to a park for the day. I'm just going to bring my phone, watch it on my phone, probably watch. Ah, I watch a bit of Donegal Tyrone, maybe, but like you know, no one for a bit of excitement <laughs> before you get a pepper in <laughs> <Yeah>. Dublin. Honestly. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, Mary. Mead don't fear the dubs. <laughs> don't fear that the is dubs. a good one. Hey. Yeah. That is a good one. Now, that said, I would love, love to see Mead beat the ah, dubs. Yeah. But, um, Can we enter no. Kevin Keegan out here? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. no, I don't think I'll be watching that one. I think I know the result of it already. Yeah, I know, well, I know, know. The, I know the ending of that one. Well, the thing is, without Stephen Cluxton, we're fairly matched. You know, we're fairly <laughs> even there, like, you know, man for man, so... Uh, no, I'll bring, bring the phone, bring the headphones, and yeah, plan is to just chill out. Uh, don't know if you've ever been to Sinendas Park there, where the Padraig Pierce Museum is. It's like a yeah. it's, all, it's like a secret Mary Park. It's just a beautiful place and really quiet. Like, I was out there on Thursday, um, finishing this book off, actually. So yeah, maybe a bit of a picnic on, on the cards. Two lucky teachers on all for the entire summer. Trying to find something to do, basically, yeah. Yeah, it's gas. We started this. Uh, we probably. put our time in, Smith. We put our time in. Oh, yeah. All yeah. oh, five hours a day or whatever uh, it is. 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Yeah. Is, is really tough, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so t- and lunch breaks as well, don't forget. Oren, you be careful, lad. You have a few people listening. So do you, Smith. So <laughs> you a few teachers in your life. Yeah, we'll be in trouble. Yeah. Um, I say it to them, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. Could have been you, Oren. Could have been you. <laughs> Yeah. Doors I, was an, I was I was smart enough to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Oren, how's your weekend? Not a lot going on here, but did you get up to anything? Quiet as as you can imagine. Yeah. Oh look, it is what it is. As I said to you during the week, I'm still an essential worker, so I'm still able to, to go to work during the week. So I think that does actually make a big difference just for our headspace. Gets to the weekend and get somewhere else to be happy just to chill out. I don't know. I, I do consider myself fairly lucky. We're obviously the two of us are right beside the beach. We, we're only allowed 10k from the house, but sure, the beach is you know a couple of hundred meters away, so we can still do that. You can still go for your run, and so I'm still in that sort of headspace from just trying to be trying to be happy and thankful for what we do have. And 
you know, hope we'll get out of this eventually. The cases are still quite low. As you said, Orange, nice to be by the beach. Yeah. Went for a snorkel today. Yeah. All over the fish and all. Went for a run then. <laughs> uh, went for a You're plenty of running tonight, I see. Yeah, so Oren here has somehow convinced me to do a half marathon with him later in the year. So, oh, yes. Um, yeah, I went for 15k today, actually. It was good. But I'm, oh, man. Did you? Yeah, pro- probably be recovered in time for season two of the podcast. It's a... I found I found <laughs> I, I found training for the half marathon. I found the longer runs were so enjoyable. Yeah, I find that as well. Yeah. Three, four k, and you can't get into your rhythm. It's lovely, like. Yeah, it's nice uh, just put in, especially in lockdown. You that, know what else to be? Put in the headphones and go for it. Yeah, yeah. That distance, Smith, is the nicest distance I feel. Fifteen or sixteen k is yeah. just. You start cruising then, don't you? And you never get yeah. too, like, fucking worn out like when you start hitting yourself. Is this the first uh, podcast we've done where we've all had at least some of our vaccination? I think so, yeah. yeah. Must be. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> all, va- all vaxxed up. At least yeah. <laughs> Hardly vaxxed, huh? Fuck the lads. Get the beers yeah. in quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, lads, I think we'll move on to where the crawdads sing now. Podge, do you want to give us maybe a synopsis uh, of the book or like a brief overview just before we get stuck into it? Yeah, so um, where the crawdads sing is, um, it's, a, it's a funny one. It's, it's set in a marsh in North Carolina and there's this mysterious marsh girl that we meet named Kaya and we kind of follow her upbringing on the marsh and her family life. And the story is kind of, intertwined with uh, like a fast forward into 1969 where a murder is after taking place um, in the area around this marsh. So we're kind of, it, it, the story itself jumps through uh, eras starting in the 50s um, with Kaya growing up and then every so often we'll fast forward as I said. But um, yeah, so a bit, of, a bit of a murder mystery involved in the story, um, but it's not all about the murder mystery either. Um, there's a lot of character development in it, a uh, load of description um, about the marsh and the wildlife around the marsh. So it's really interesting in that regard. And Podge, what, did you enjoy the book overall or what did you think of it? I really did enjoy the book. Yeah, I really did. Um, I just liked how, as I said, in the kind of synopsis to the story, there's two kind of separate storylines going on. And I enjoyed that. I, it was kind of different to what I've kind of books I've read before with similar genre learning how Kaya grew up on the marsh, as I said, and kind of how she handled a very difficult upbringing uh, with a very kind of abusive father, um, absent mother, uh, as time passed, absent siblings as well, and how she kind of managed growing up on her own, essentially, for years. And then with that, as you're kind of enjoying that story, every so often you're brought back to the present, which is 1969, um, with this kind of murder mystery. And... Yeah, like initial thoughts, like you kind of have, it, it's a hard one to predict, which I liked, um, like even up to the very end of the book, I didn't really know how it was going to end, which is always a good thing. So it kept you engaged and very quick read, I have to say any book like that, any kind of detective fiction or, or um, murder mystery like that, it's, you know, you're, you're always going to, it's hard to put down. So um, no, overall, really enjoyed the book. Um yeah, I'd probably go into a bit more detail on things maybe I didn't like as much as we go through the podcast. But um, overall, yeah, I would definitely be recommending it. Probably a bit the same as Podge. Uh, I, I did enjoy it. I didn't love it. I, I think the majority of people I have spoken to, including my mom, were like, oh, really, really love that book. It's beautiful. And I was like, oh, fine. Yeah, I think I'm very kind of just was okay. I thought the, the nature writing, which probably... Funnily enough, it was brilliant, very well written, but I thought the story itself lacked a bit of, it didn't sit well with me. I think just the whole murder mystery, just, it was nearly needless to a certain extent. What else? Um, yeah, like I said, it was it was a nice read. I was a bit the same as Podge. I was mad to, I actually listened to it, which as I keep saying on this podcast, I feel I should stop listening to books because I feel I never enjoy them as much when I listen as when I read. Uh, I yeah, there's a lot of colloquial accents, and it started off as fun, and then Jesus, it got just tiring. <laughs> I was after watching True Detective, and I was just like, "Oh God, no more accents, please." But um, yeah, look, it was 
<laughs> it was a good book, um, a nice read, say, but uh, uh, you know, not a classic, we'll say. I uh, I was thinking of you as I was reading it actually because you mentioned you got it on Audible and the accents and stuff like even to read it can be like like I enjoy it like uh, of mice and men obviously is our last book so there's a lot of it in that too but I was thinking of you constantly right like when they're talking about critters and all this stuff I was like Oren must be just head in his hand somewhere listening to this nonstop. I actually <laughs> listened to part of it I read most of it but you know I I had to, had it in borrow box as well so. But Oren, yeah, you know, I love that uh, part about the accents and the colloquialisms uh, in the book. But I can, I can see where you're coming from from listening to it. From listening to it, it was a little bit, a little bit more gnawing on you, like you know. All, all it takes is just for a voice actor that you don't love the sound of, and it just ruins the character. Exactly, <laughs> which is awful. Even the likes of Tate, I think I would have loved that character if I hadn't listened to it. It's just the accent that I heard didn't do it for me. And intonations and stuff, but other than that, it's a good book. Yeah, I actually, I actually really liked it. I liked it more than I, than I kind of wanted to like it. If that makes sense, I actually bought this book. Uh, I forgot I bought it. I bought it into the first lockdown in 2020. Um, girlfriend Lachine was at home monitoring, and the tra- and the travel restrictions meant you know we couldn't see each other and she had left in kind of a, a rush to avoid the travel restrictions so she didn't bring anything and she's saying she would like to would have liked a few books so I just I was just on Amazon and looking at books similar to what she read and just bought a few of them and sent them that sent them up to up to Monaghan but uh, the crawdads was actually one of them and I completely forgot about it until we went to read it here but yeah, as I said, I just with um, with it being such a a, com- like a a common feature on the best selling list, I kind of felt like oh, I don't know if I want to like it as much as I did, and it, I, I couldn't resist it. It was it was very good. As Podge was mentioning, um, I loved how the two timelines came together, like and I, I, I and how how that paced the book. Um, I kind of felt like I kind of felt. Like, Do you ever see those videos of you know a surfer slowly paddling out to the sea? It's an aerial view, and you can see the shark is coming along. You could kind of feel the inevitability of the two the two timelines meeting, and you knew that the shit was just going to hit the fan when they did meet. Um, I was really, I really loved that part. As the book went on, I started liking like it more and more. I loved how it was three or four different types of stories in the one book. You know, it was like the, it was the love story of Kaya and Tate or Chase or whatever. And then you have the murder mystery, but then you also have the courtroom drama. And I love courtroom dramas. I've never actually read a book with a courtroom drama. I actually watched the A Few Good Men last night. Such a show. Right. Such yeah. a show. That's yeah. But you know, overall, you uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. Have you read that? I haven't read it, but I've seen it. Oh, and Twelve cool. Angry Men. What a show! I know oh, that's yeah. that's separate. Yeah, that's not really a yeah. courtroom, but um, yeah. But yeah, no. I, I overall, I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Might be reductive here, but I thought it was a combination of the Jungle Book and uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> <laughs> the that's Jungle very Book. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I like that. But that should be on the back of the book, or I reckon. <laughs> you know, like Stephen King couldn't put it down, and Orm Fitzpatrick. It was like the Jungle Book and Kill a Mockingbird rolled into one. A rare achievement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like. I really like this book. Similar to you, Marky. Like so many people have recommended it to me, and not that I was apprehensive, but we've had other books that we've covered that have maybe been. Uh, really popular and trending and we haven't enjoyed as much but I loved it like the whole setting and everything it reminded me a lot of like things like um you and Oren mentioned on our last episode about True Detective how similar to that there's another film Mud with Matthew McConaughey as well it really reminded me of that and I loved all the nature stuff I thought it was brilliant I was really invested in like learning all about the swamp how Kaya perceived it and how it like informed her like social development and everything as well I actually had one funny part, like I, I actually highlighted it, but because there was a beautiful description of like a blue heron at one stage and how it like took off and I think was described as like a bridesmaid and it was just so 
beautifully written the descriptions and made me feel really guilty because a few years ago um i did a trip in the amazon jungle and we were we went out one morning at like dawn and absolutely wrecked to go on this lake to wait on this lake for like five hours to maybe see these like river otters that were like borderline extinct so i was like deadly like can't wait to see this birds necessarily i wouldn't be too interested in them i was more like i want to see a jaguar and all that kind of stuff typical lad and at one stage like we we're like sitting waiting on these otters and like the guide like pulled in the boat and made us sit for ages and i was like fuck's sake i want to see these otters like what's going on and he was like this blue heron here is like really rare and people come all over to the us to find it and come here and i was like I don't give a shite about the heron when you just show me the, <laughs> the otters because I'd seen like a David <laughs> Attenborough documentary about the otters. I was like, I'm so, so keen to see these. But now in hindsight, I was like, okay, maybe it is a majestic animal. I just did not appreciate that enough at the time. It just meant nothing to me. It was just like another bird. But uh, I love the nature element of this and like all the creatures, the way they're described and their habits and stuff. Yeah, overall, just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I love that... Uh... I know we've all mentioned how the how well described the nature was and and that, but I loved how um, she made like the animal behaviors relatable to the human behaviors. Um, and obviously, you know, this was the most obvious one is the with the fireflies, and that's you know Kaya's relationship with Tate, and then with and then with Chase in the end. But I think one of my favorite ones was when she was describing the bullfrogs. You know, when they're trying to mate. And some of the weaker, some of the weaker males hide beside some of the alpha males who make this really, really strong croaking noise, which is what the females are are attracted to, or you know what they're looking for. And when all of the females flocked towards this alpha, this alpha male, um, this the weaker boy is standing beside, hoping to get collect the the breaking ball and get. <laughs> I get a mate, get a mate that way, you know. But it, it always it it reminded like me of you know back in first year. Yeah, it was like <laughs> coppers. Yeah. But it did. It reminded me of you know secondary school or early in college where you used to have you know some of those lads who hang around with the you know the good footballers even though they be shite themselves and just try and you know feed off their popularity or or the, in that in that sense you what know? was the term marty was it sneaky fuckers is that what they called them in the book or something yeah yeah something like that yeah good. yeah yeah that's good yeah so as podge mentioned earlier on in his synopsis there's kind of two overlapping storylines in this book um, and one of them deals with kaya's kind of childhood and her youth and growing up on the marsh and how her family kind of leave her and basically how she gets into this scenario of becoming the marsh girl as she's known as and kind of living in isolation um did you, Podge, like, did you enjoy that kind of element of story and learning about the development of how all this happened and how her life became what it was? Yeah, I really did. I think it was a slow burner, to be honest. It kind of took me a little while to get into the book. Um, similar to of Mice and Men with the, the vernacular, like the how they spoke to each other. I find that kind of difficult to understand at times, but that was kind of the whole point. So, you know, if they were speaking perfect English, that wouldn't be great either. So um, no, that was that was it. Took 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 uh, two or three chapters just to kind of okay, this is what the book's about. If you know what I mean, see where this is going in a way. Um, especially as it, the the chapter names, obviously the years going by. Um, yeah, I really really enjoyed it. I thought it was very moving. Um, just how difficult she had it, and that she had that kind of window of time where everything was kind of good. She had all her siblings around her. She was the youngest of I think five maybe four or five i can't fully remember but um and the mother was was great for her and everything and then yeah like it's fairly early on in the book that the that the mother leaves and that's obviously a huge moment for her that she always kind of comes back to um and then the siblings leave and stuff and i kind of i was a bit angry i was actually quite angry at the like the, the siblings more so that just left her there like and even though the father was was highly abusive he was an alcoholic he was a gambler he was all sorts and um yeah Kai was left to just kind of live with him and she would go days days would go by and he wouldn't arrive home and she'd have like she just had to literally she was just in survival mode from day one really and had to learn how to cook and cook what like she was cooking grits every day and whatever vegetable she could get um so she's on slim pickings, but then 
we start seeing the the other characters that bring a bit of light to the story, like Jumpin and his wife Mabel, and Jumpin um, fills the gas up on the boat. So the, the saving grace for Kaya was that the dad he'd always leave the boat behind, like so she had the boat to to go out of the marsh over to the shop and to get the gas and whatever she had. But like, yeah, I really did enjoy it. I, I enjoyed it. It was paced really well. I thought. I don't know what you thought about that. I thought it um, it gave every kind of standout age of her life the right like due diligence or whatever you want to call it she got and, and even then she started to gradually kind of earn her own money by getting the muscles and that kind of stuff and going to the shop and and, and um just surviving yeah and then when the dad finally did leave that was also very powerful and she's just completely isolated and then we see like the take come in you good well, so you were saying about how like when she met jumping and Mabel I love that part as well but I really liked as you said how each stage of her life went into the at each stage you felt further and further you felt her going further and further into isolation and you really felt that loneliness as well I really that especially that part where she presents the where she's really struggling for money and for food and she presents the smoked fish to to jumping and Mabel and Mabel's what is this shit? Nobody's going to buy it, you know. <laughs> uh, it really did show how desperate she was, you know, but as you said, the survival instinct, I thought that was, I thought that was really prevalent, like her, her will to survive and just determination to survive, I suppose. Uh, and that probably brought her closer to the nature uh, and to the marsh as well. I actually thought it was the strongest part of the book. Um, it laid such strong foundations for what I, what I thought was enough of a story in itself, almost. As you were saying there, Marty, like it was impressive that she managed to, you know, hone in our survival instincts. She managed to smoke some fish and sell it. Like, obviously, she relied on jumping and Mabel. Like, so as much as she was isolated, there were people who were somewhat looking out for her and wanted to see her do well. But um, what I loved, what the other ones did with this is how she gave Kaya's version of events and what she remembered and how she saw it. And then later on in the book, you saw from like the mother's point of view and from the siblings, from even the likes of the lady in the shop in town sort of thing, how they saw and what actually happened versus what Kaya thought was happening. I thought that was unreal. But yeah, I thought it was a really, really strong part of the book. Yeah, I'd agree. Like it's, I, adored the first half of the book and the second half of the book maybe for me didn't live up to it but yeah I just loved I thought the character development was so good and like you said Podge it took me a little bit with all the talk about the grits and the critters and it takes a while the setting is so detailed and so kind of gripping that it it took me a while to really get into the setting but then I found I could visualize everything so easily like the swamp and all our little boat trips to jumping in Mabel's I found it created such a clear picture in my head of the setting which is a great feat for any author, I suppose. Um, I just loved, there was a few really, t- I found uh, like a lot of the book quite touching actually. Um, even when Kaya watched her mother leave and her mother didn't even really look back. And then I think her father might've been even when he left finally, but uh, he kind of turned back and gave her a dismissive wave. And then she just said to herself, it's more than Ma did or whatever. It's more than Ma gave. Like her abandonment was really sad. She had such little things to cling on to, whether it was the goals or whether it was, Tate leaving the feathers for her. I just really engaged with I related to her a lot even though obviously how can you relate to like this marriage girl or whatever so it's such a different life but I thought the human element of the book as well as the nature was really strong and like I was really like rooting for her and Tate from early on when he was teaching her to read and I liked then as you mentioned Oren about kind of the different viewpoints of how everything unfolded and then Jody kind of said to Kaya, do you not remember when you were really small, Tate, like always looked after you and was like, I thought that was really well done. And uh, there was a painting that Kaya's mother had done of uh, Tate and Kaya as children. I found all that stuff really moving. Um, I thought really, as you said, that nearly could have been the book and I would have been happy. It was good to see kind of the naive side of her a lot as well in this first book. Um, and it kind of, and we said that earlier, like, you know, she didn't have a lot of social interaction for a long time and I think we kind of see that with with Chase and that storyline when Chase comes along and like she's everything or Chase to her is everything she wants like she wants to be accepted into society she wants to have the friends she wants to 
you know, they're out on the beach having the crack and she's kind of watching from afar. She's watching from, from some hidden area or whatever. And when she finally kind of gets that, she's so, as I said, naive to it. And I think we could always see, like it was always hinted, I think it was hinted at earlier in the book when the second timeline starts with the murder and they're like, oh, it, must, it might have been a jealous husband and kind of basically Chase is a, is a pure womanizer like. So then when that leads up to the story, I think we all kind of saw what was coming, that he was only in it for a joke or a bet or something. And yeah, that was that was very sad as well because she he was over a year, wasn't he, going out to the marsh and seeing her and how that affected her and not just Chase, but like Tate abandoning her. But when you kind of see it from Tate's perspective, he never abandoned her to out of badness like he he was going to college and he was kind of he was only a young young lad as well and but because Kaya was harboring so much abandonment abandonment issues like it was just kind of a PTSD thing for her wasn't it like when taping off to college or whatever so you said there probably about um about Chase like it's been the the year going to the marsh and you know how well we definitely doubted the how genuine he was about it, but it sort of Kaya, and I, f- I found it really, oh, like it was really sad. Like you'd see that she, she was struggling to connect with humans at all. And there's a part of the book where she says that's where she actually gives Chase the the shell neck necklace up on the on the fire tower, and she says, um, you know, he made a joke or something. And she's she laughed because she felt she had to laugh. She said she felt like she was giving away another piece of herself to have someone, you know, that she felt like connecting with humans, she had to pay by giving a part of herself. Um, I thought that worked change, well, yeah. though. The, I thought that worked well in the end, though, whenever she kind of took back the shell, it was like she took back that part of herself. But yeah, that chase boy was a bit of a bollocks. Good dog. I- as you said, Podge, it was it worked well though with the alternating storylines because like it created a sense of foreboding and dread. Then, as you were reading later in the book, Kai is like developing romance with him, um, and there's a couple of great like foreshadowing highlights that now that I haven't even realised. But now that I'm looking back over the passages I highlighted, I was like, oh, that was very uh, cleverly foreshadowed earlier in the book. But yeah, Chase like Chase is your stereotype jock and like just. You want him because you're so invested in Kaya to just actually turn out to be a nice guy and then he just lets you down. Like the motel scene was, I found that very hard to read where he'd basically planned this entire trip where she'd have no choice but to stay with him in a motel room and kind of emotionally abuse her as well. So I was rooting for Tate all along, I have to say. Oh yeah, Smith, you mentioned there like, you know, Julia Owens really did convey like the isolation, how it affected how it affected Kaya. But like she also showed how, you know, the benefit of that or how you can how Kaya turned it to her advantage, you know, how she she knew her surroundings so well and like how she like no but like in the end she wrote she wrote a best selling book about the marsh, you know, and um that's came from her her isolation or, you know, with her time spent by herself. I know I really like you, like I really did relate to that. Um, you know, I remember, I remember when I first came out of college, all my mates and all my housemates obviously went straight into teaching. I didn't. I stayed working in the pub, and as a result, I pretty much didn't see anyone. You know, I by the time I got home from work, <laughs> but you know, by the time I went, by the time I got home from work, the boys I went to bed. By the time I got up in the in the morning or in the afternoon, as it was. The boys had gone to work and I just, I literally, even though I lived in a, in a house with four or five other lads, I didn't see anyone. I was essentially living on my own. It was, it was very isolating and it was very lonely, but, um, I found as the years went on and, you know, especially, especially since I've kind of returned to teaching and kind of grown up and all, I really find that that time spent on my own or, becoming comfortable spending time on your own. There's lots of benefits from it, you know. Uh, and I thought that, that I thought it was important that it was conveyed in the story and I thought it was conveyed very well. I thought there was one quote that really like hammered that home as well where um Kai was thinking about like having to educate herself and stuff. 
And she said, wonders in real life knowledge she would have never learned in school. Truth everyone should know, yet somehow, even though they lay exposed all around, seem to lie in secret like the seeds. I thought that was really good. Like, it was kind of like that uh, cliche of like, don't, what is it? Don't tell a fish to climb a tree and call him an idiot. Everyone's got all their different strengths. And I think like there was another great line that she said that there were some who can live without wild things and some who can't. So like you said there, Marty, like she needed the marsh as much as like she could have integrated in society and gone to school and all that. What she wanted, what she thrived in was the marsh setting. And she ultimately writes the books and that's how she makes her life better and like does up her shack, makes an income and kind of gets settled and sets up a life for herself is true, her connection with the marsh. And then obviously the second storyline set later on in 1969 and deals with a murder. Spoiler, Chase, who's murdered, shows up dead quite near the start of the book. And the second half of the book subsequently deals, I guess, with the trial unearthing who might have killed him and why. Orin, did you enjoy the direction the book went in and kind of the courtroom drama or what were your thoughts? Yeah, as I said, I kind of liked where the book was and I thought, not that this was unnecessary, but it, it just didn't really do it for me. I, I thought it was somewhat half-hashed kind of thing. I do love a courtroom drama, but I thought it could have been would have been so much better, like almost if it was a second book or something like that. I, di- I did enjoy how the two timelines came together, but I, I just felt, yeah, the second book was all a bit rushed. Oh, I didn't hate it, I guess, but I just, yeah, I, I thought it just was a little rushed in comparison to the start that was very slow and methodical and I thought worked so well. This just kind of missed, missed it for me. I just liked how you could see it from the start. Like what, once you, it starts off with the murder, 1969 and then it goes right back to I think 1951 I think and straight away you're like oh okay so it's you can see where it's going the two stories are eventually going to hopefully merge I like that I like the the element of of the courtroom I think there it's always fascinating to read and sure look any any films I think Marty mentioned earlier like 12 Angry Men or To Kill a Mockingbird as well like those, those kind of books are always brilliant Oren mentioned something earlier I don't know if he said on the pod or before it but that it might have been a bit needless or so. And I kind of, in a way, agree. Like, I think the book following Kaya growing up and stuff, I just wonder if, instead of having the alternating storyline, if it, if it just led up to that storyline, if you know what I mean, naturally, would that have made a better read? Hard to know. But uh, no, overall, I, I did. Yeah, I, I, it was always at the back of your mind. Like, even if you're, even as you're reading, you know, Kaya learning to read, with Tate and it's all lovely and uh, her relationship with Jumping and Mabel and all of this, it's always in the back of your mind going, you know, there's a murder coming up. You know what I mean? It was a funny one. That's why I said to start, like it's, it's a funny kind of a read and it was a different read. I think that's why it stood out so much for me. Yeah, but I kind of disagree with yourself and Orin in terms of, you know, you I know you were saying that the second timeline you kind of felt it was a bit unnecessary or, you know, how it was integrated to the story. I know you were saying it'd be interesting to see if uh, the timeline just flowed chronologically. But I think that, I think separating the second timeline, you know, into the little bits throughout. So it really built up suspense. Like, you know, and I loved how, you know, each time we met Ed and Joe, like there was another clue. And as, as you know, as you, were re- you read through the book, you were kind of piecing it together. And um, I thought that really added to the suspense and the excitement. But no, I really, really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed when the two timelines merged. As I said, like when you knew when they mer- when they were when they were going to merge, that it was going to be like that's when when things were going to really speed up and get exciting, and all the chapters from then on were really short, you know, 10, 15 minute chapters, and it was just banging out, banging out storylines. Like it was great so overall. Yeah, I really I thought the second part of it was the most exciting part. I just have a question. I was wondering, like, did anyone think Kai was? A, guilty, or B, going to be incorrectly found guilty during the trial? Yeah, I thought that was very good. The suspense of the the verdict was very good. And I was kind of half expecting her to be convicted. Um, And when she wasn't, I was delighted because I felt that if she was convicted, it would have put a dampener on the book a little bit because she's had such a tough time already. You would have been like, oh, you know. So I was happy. Um. Yeah, so what you thought? Did you like that part too, or or you know, did you find it was suspenseful? Or oh, I actually thought that for a while, I I really thought that Tate was the the murderer. I don't know if any of you thought that. I thought that you know when he came back and when he saw when he saw Chase 
with um, with Kaya that he was going to be in the end going to be the murderer. For a while, yeah, I thought that you know the prejudice was going to be so strong that Kaya would be convicted, but I never thought that she was going to going to be the murderer. You know, it was small town, like police stations and the you know the cops say like you think of even three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Like you know they, they they're they're a little bit you know incompetent. Like you know. Just on that, I agree, Marty, actually, about Tate. That's a good point. I was convinced for a lot of the novel, either Jumpin or Tate, would it would turn out had committed the murder to, like, protect Kaya. And then especially after um, Tate saw Kaya's, like, beaten up face and stuff, the bruises, he seemed really angry and, like, he suspected immediately that Chase did it. And I thought one of the best parts of the book, most suspenseful, I was like, oh, no. Like, all along, I was, like, like a child being like, I hope this works out for Kaya and Tate or whatever. They live happily ever after. And uh, after the trial, when the Caius is like going to meet Tate or whatever, and she sees the policemen come aboard the ship and arrest them, I was like, oh, they found out that he's the murderer. Like, it's not going to be the happy ending. He's going to end up getting the electric chair or whatever. And then it was actually that his father had died. And that was why they were not arresting them, just like bringing him to the scene or whatever. I thought that, that was, was really nearly good. more sad. Yeah. 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 His dad is a legend. Scupper. But yeah, no, I thought that was, I thought that played out well. Um, the trial itself, like you've said, I kind of agree with parts of what you've all said. I thought it was very interesting. And like, I always love like the next witness being called, like what revelations are going to be disclosed here. And I thought it was good to touch on what Oren said earlier about like viewpoints and like no one was really a reliable narrator, like in, for either the prosecution or the defense. You weren't sure were they like misremembering or like, oh, we might have seen someone she might have been disguised as a boy on this bus or we're pretty sure we saw Kaya like late at night in her boat with the lights off. And then there was like, there was things to, to make you believe and disbelieve all the evidence. So I, I was exactly like you, Smith. I kind of thought it was going to be Tate or I thought it maybe be jumping and Tate or there was some combination of characters or there was, some, there was something afoot. Um, so Kaya ultimately gets off. Nothing comes of that. They live happily ever after. I Twenty years up there, and then you find out. Obviously, there's the big twist, and I, I was actually guilty to do it. I, I do enjoy a twist and all that, but I, I don't. Know, I nearly find it just unbelievable, sort of thing, and just how it happened. And not that it, it didn't actually affect my view of the character. I think she, like she was nearly well within the rights to do what she did. I was like fair play to her, and she stood up for herself and all that. But I just thought to throw it in where. It, did end up getting thrown in. And I, again, I, I just, I thought the, the book didn't finish as strongly as, as it could have. Like, I didn't mind the twist and the twist that she was actually the poet, Amanda Hamilton. Like Tate, I thought Amanda Hamilton poet, poems were pretty poor. So I thought that was actually kind of funny. But yeah, for me, like the issue is that the time jump at the end actually didn't work or like there's no need to jump ahead to Kaya being 67 and dying in her boat. I know ultimately then that's how Tate kind of does the reveal that he finds like this box and the poem that proved that she was guilty. But I just kind of thought there could have been another way to prove her guilt without jumping so far into the future after the trial. I just thought after that, it let me down a little, that ending or something, or maybe not a sour note, but I was just a bit like, oh, maybe no, more. Oh, the same, yeah. I just wasn't quite, it just didn't really sit kind of well. At all. Yeah, her and dying at the end kind of go. let it down for me yeah. a bit maybe I'm an old romantic and I just wanted to picture them they're happy happily ever after but like I just did I thought it was a bit unnecessary it was very like Hollywoody ending like 50 years later thing or whatever I liked it again I liked the twist I liked the idea that it was her that they killed Chase and like you were saying or I was rooting for her that she did it you know and I was kind of half proud of her that she did it you know but again like the way it was done kind of left a bit to be desired you know like the Disguises. I loved how there was such a small little gap in the prosecution's evidence. Like there was such a small uh, window for her to to commit the crime that it seemed so improbable. And I loved how she did fit through that window. You know, but just the idea of dressing up as a man or an old lady didn't didn't really appeal to me. But as I said, I liked the idea that she that she did get chased in the end. The last chapter, yeah, like skipping time ahead, felt sorry for it. They didn't have kids of their own. I did, that, that bit did hit me. Um, the bit about the poet, poet, like Amanda Hamilton, though, 
that annoy me a little bit. You know, like I'm, you know, throughout the book, like the first time Amanda Hamilton is mentioned, it says Kaya uh, recited a poem from an obscure poet called Amanda Amanda Hamilton, and you know, I don't know. I just felt let down that that was that was Kaya, and a little bit, a little bit past the threshold of being believable. You know, I. I get the whole idea of her, you know, advancing so much in her education that she could compile, a, uh, you know, a documentary book on the on the marsh. You know, she was an expert on it, but becoming the a poetical genius or, well, I suppose she wasn't, con, con, you know, conveyed as a poetical genius that was conveyed as poor enough poetry. But that kind of was a bit of a letdown for me. At the same time, I could imagine reading that final poem from Tate's point of view and it sinking in. Um, but you know, overall, I was I, I liked the idea of the ending, but I don't think it it landed as well as it could have. Not with me, anyway. I agree. Um, I think Delia Owens she just tried to squeeze in too much at the end. Like whatever the twist about the poet, then all of a sudden there's the twist about the murder as well. I was just like, ugh. it was just a little bit like right, all that. Like the whole court case and how the the defense were poking holes and everything, and it just kind of like like it, they they made the case seem that it was implausible for Kaya to do it. Like, and even the timeline of events, and you're reading it going like oh, that's that's very difficult to do. You had to have a certain tide to make up twenty minutes of the journey, and it had to be exact, and they had to get such a bus and stuff. As you're reading that, you're going, yeah, all right, like that's that seems just like you know implausible or whatever. And then, yeah, I don't. This didn't sit well with me either. I just didn't like that twist. Um, yeah, it kind of fell it fell flat for me to be honest. I lost it lost a few points for me. I think the book overall because of that, which is kind of uh, not fair maybe. But yeah, like we've said it before in other books, sometimes you just get an ending. Unfortunately, where the book might be brilliant and the ending just that's the thing you leave like that's the thing you remember when you close the book like you know you're, that's what you're left with so um as good as the book was and as much as i did enjoy it um yeah it definitely lost some marks i didn't mind the murder at all um but i kind of thought there would have been a better way like something like the last scene be like just after court case and her like disposing of the seashell necklace or something to like to hint or even like burning the poem herself or something. I just didn't really like the time jump and the way, yeah, tried to cram too much information into the last few pages to like tie everything up. Whereas I kind of thought I might go like Marty mentioned three billboards earlier, which like a film I love. Like I like the ambiguity in that towards like around how the crime was committed or who committed it. Sometimes like maybe where the crawdad thing, if you didn't know who committed the, the murder you might be like speculating and that, that might have you might have thought about it a lot more i just think she yeah. tried to tie everything up too neatly and it didn't really work for me yeah like sometimes it's nice to have a bit of a cliffhanger like and i was kind of getting my i was readying myself for that cliffhanger as we were getting near the end of the book and i was kind of saying all right like that's that's kind of good like and i was enjoying that aspect of it and like was it a suicide was it tate was it whoever and i think that would have been a better ending for me um they're not known for sure um but yeah i agree with you there smith as well that the the big jump in time was a little bit funny like and yeah i don't know like to be honest the the random poetry did annoy me um every so often kind of whispered to herself a poem by a man and it was almost thrown in your throat a little bit this name amanda whatever her name was hamilton or something was it yeah it was a little bit annoying at one point she threw in a dickinson poem i was like grad finally like Jesus Christ, diversify, will you? Like, read some other poems. So when that came about, I was like, all right. Oh, she was the poet, Grant. Like, it... I have to make an admission here, and I did not remember any of these poems during the book. When I got to that point, I was like, <laughs> I have no idea who this is. Like, I, idea, yeah. I, 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 didn't, I didn't see the connection whatsoever. And I was like, oh, what's this even about? <laughs> you were like, who's Kyle? Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just completely forgot that it happened during the book, so... Oh, yeah, I don't know if that's just my lack of interest in that or whether it was more from the author, God knows, but yeah, that was it. Sorry, I thought it was uh, interesting too whenever Molly Malone made an appearance, whenever he chases 
playing Molly Malone on the on the the harmonica, and a, a little bit of me kind of felt like, is this just in here because it references cockles and muscles, you know? Um, but now there's, I, 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 it was good to see it in there too. Actually, just a fun oh, yeah. a fun fact about about that that I literally learned yesterday about that area, that whole North Carolina area, and the connection with Ireland. You know the way they mentioned like the Appalachian Mountains or the Appalachian Mountains? Yeah. That area. That uh, was originally formed. That was originally joined to the Derry Bay and the Blue Sack Mountains in Donegal and Ulster and the Caledonian Mountains in Scotland. And then I don't know what you call the mountains in Norway. They were all, they were all joined together. So at one point, Donegal and North Carolina were joined together. Marty, any any more fun facts now that you've now that you've got the ball rolling here? You must have some more little tidbits to throw at us. I do. I always have a little bit of a factoid here and there. And this one, well, there are a few, but like the the first one is fairly well known that Delia was a naturalist or a uh, animal scientist herself, uh, and she actually has three other books written. There about her time in Africa in the in the savanna and the Kalahari deserts and with her husband they did a bit of work with National Geographic it's just about working with lions and elephants and and things like that um but it gets very and so that obviously informs her her you know knowledge of of nature and how well she wrote about that um but it gets very interesting then uh she um she's actually wanted for questioning in Zambia her uh, when she was over there she was over there with her her ex-husband and her stepson and um, there's a warrant out on them for shoot to kill which is they are obviously conservationists and um, they were you know studying looking after the animals where in an area where poaching was quite prevalent and it's rumored that Leo Owen's uh, husband or stepson uh, shot shot the one of the poachers dead and that her husband moved the body that's the rumor that's the rumor uh and that they fled to america and have been have been uh have been sought after since so it was an interest it's an interesting little a dark little, little side note you know but she's actually 72 years of age no she wrote her first novel at 70 but she um it's actually really interesting so she's She's actually not happy this book has done so well because it's drawn complete attention to the fact. <laughs> oh, yeah. I suppose one other thing then is, you know, the movie. She's uh, had the uh, rights for the book sold. Uh, Reese Witherspoon is actually producing it, which I thought was quite funny. And, um, yeah. Um, You're one from normal people. Yeah, it? Sophie, Daisy, what do you call her? Daisy, uh, Daisy, 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 Daisy Edgar Jones. Jones. Yeah. Exactly. Daisy That's Edgar a funny Jones choice, thing, I think. Yeah. I think she'd be a great Kaya. Perfect. I thought that, bit, I I thought that was perfect, yeah. No, I don't think it's perfect at all. Why? No, because I thought that was brilliant. Didn't they say at one point that um, Kaya has, like, was it olive kind of coloured skin? She's quite tanned. Um, That's what Sally Hansen's for, Pudge. Huh? <laughs> There's a thing called Sally Hansen, you know. And she's, she's got tanned. dark eyes, doesn't she? Nah, they can't. No, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I'd say it'd be fine. But I just think maybe they're picking her because she's in vogue. I can In see fairness, that. Harry Potter was meant to have green eyes, so if they can get away with that, I think yeah. Daisy Edgar Jones will be fine with some pale skin. William Wallace is meant to be seven point dog. All right, lads. Very interesting opinions there. Uh, I think we'll move on to our last rate expectations of the season. Uh, I'll start with you, Podge. Do you want to give us your rating for where the crowd dads sing? Uh, yeah, we'll do. Um, before I do, though, um, so I was interested. I did something kind of different this week with on the Instagram. Um, just asked the any kind of fans of the page or whatever of the podcast to to give it a rating. So I was just looking at it here. It looks like average rating was about eight of eight out of ten from listeners or from readers. Um, I'd probably agree with that. To be honest, I think I'm going to give it an eight as well. Really enjoyed it as we talked about. Um, Thought it was kind of a different kind of a read. Had a little bit of murder mystery thrown into the mix, which is always good. Um, I do think the ending kind of had an impact, though. I don't think it ended quite well for me. No, I think a strong eight is is a fair uh, rating for this book. 
I'm going to go with, I was kind of caught between, but I think I'll go with a six and a half. Actually, like I enjoyed the book and I would say to somebody, yeah, give it a read. But as we're saying there, I thought it started so well, it was brilliant. But I, I think I just tried to do too much and cram so much into the last little part. But it was still, still a nice read if you're reading it on holidays or something like that. So while the weather is good, it's dark, but for the cloud that's thing, I think you could do worse. So yeah, six and a half for me. Yeah, I suppose I'd probably be closer to to Podge there. Um, you know, as I said, when I kind of started into this, I was a bit sceptical, maybe a bit cynical about how much I was going to like it. Uh, and just as the book progressed, I I couldn't I couldn't put it down. And I, you know, I really loved her turn of phrase, uh, just the way it was written. And um, you know, I really couldn't I really couldn't give it lower than an eight. I think I'm going to go with an eight as well. I think that's a a fair rating, um, definitely based on how much I enjoyed it anyway. What did you think, Smith? Yeah, I'm similar. I'm going to go for an eight as well, actually, lads. So that's interesting that our listeners and us are all kind of on the same page. I just thought, yeah, like you, Mark. Classic like, Oren being the outlier there, but I. Yeah, classic Rashid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a lot of people recommend this book to me, probably more so than any other book since probably COVID or whatever, like over the last, I'd say six or seven different people have recommended this book. I found it really immersive, yeah, in terms of like um, the swamp and Kaya's kind of lifestyle and isolation. And I had gripes with the ending maybe, but apart from that, I thought there was a lot that was kind of special about the book. It was very human, very relatable. Some great phrases like from early on that I've highlighted now, I look back, like there was one, a swamp knows all about death and doesn't necessarily define it as tragedy, certainly not a sin which then when you look back at now, like makes a lot more sense. And I feel like after I put down the last page, I've been thinking about the book a lot all week. Like I couldn't wait to chat about it. So for those reasons, yeah, I'm going to give it a strong eight. I think it was a really good book. So that gives where the crawdads sing a 7.6 out of 10 rating from Lower Hour. So sadly, that brings an end to season one of the Lower Hour podcast. Um, lads, it's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, and we just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's listened to any of the episodes or who's followed us on social media. We've had great engagement and it means a lot to us with people helping us choose books or giving feedback on books or different episodes. And also we'd like to extend a big thank you to two brilliant Irish authors, Ronan Hessian and Louise Nealon for appearing on the podcast. That was really special and uh, we hope they enjoyed it as much as we did. So we'll be taking a break for a couple of weeks just to recharge and pick our next books for season two. Um, so keep an eye on our social media pages and lowerhour.com for when we'll be back and also keep an eye out we're doing, going to be doing a little giveaway or competition in the coming weeks so make sure you don't miss out on that and in the meantime uh, take care and we'll see you soon bye